Right, well, we're there in Matthew 13, and like I said, we haven't been here in a couple of weeks, we haven't been in Matthew in a couple of weeks, but we're starting up exactly where we left off. And in Matthew 13, it's a long chapter, and there's a lot to that. We, we could spend, I mean, we could spend six months in Matthew 13, there's so much there. We're not going to spend six months, we are probably going to spend two, maybe even three weeks in Matthew 13. Uh, tonight, we're just going to look at a very small part. There's, there's a lot of parables in Matthew 13, and there's two major parables, the parable of the sower, the parable of the tares, and then there's some smaller parables. We're going to spend a few weeks uh, going through all of those. Tonight we're going to look at the parable of the sower as we begin in Matthew 13. And just kind of by way of introduction, I want you to see verse number 1. The Bible says, And the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now this has nothing to do with the sermon, just something interesting as we kind of go into this. But I want you to just see Jesus' knowledge of his own creation. This was before, obviously, microphones. This was before speakers. This was before amplifiers. Jesus is speaking to a huge multitude here and what he does is, and in other passages we're told even more uh, uh, exactly that he goes into a ship and he kind of goes a little ways into the water, the people are all sitting on the shore and Jesus actually uses the water to carry his voice and amplify his voice, uh, kind of uses it as a speaker and it's just interesting to see Jesus understand the knowledge of his own creation and understand that he can speak to thousands of people without using a microphone just by having knowledge of that. So like I said, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Just wanted you to see that. Um, the next thing I'd like you to see, notice if you look at verse 3, it says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, keep your finger there in Matthew 13, because we're studying Matthew 13. But go to Luke chapter number 8, and put your bulletin or a bookmark or a ribbon or something like that in Luke chapter number 8, because I want you to see, uh, Just we're going to be going back and forth between Luke 8. Mark 4 is also where this is a parallel. We may go to Mark 4, but we may not. And we are going to look, look at Luke 8 quite a bit. So keep your finger there because we're going to be going back and forth. But I want you to understand something. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 says this. Now the parable is this. And this is Jesus. This is just another account where you can look at the different parables, uh, at the different parallels, excuse me, and get uh, and learn a lot of the same story, the, the, same, uh, the, the, the same account from these different books of the Bible. In Luke 8, 11, Jesus said this. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And you got to understand, in the Bible, the seed is always the word of God. And here we have a man, the sower, went out to sow seed. And the seed is the word of God. So what's being sowed is the word of God. Now, uh, keep your finger there in Luke 8. Go to 1 Peter. Just real quickly, 1 Peter chapter 1. I know we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of passages tonight, but uh, that's good. 1 Peter chapter 1, towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let me just, again, this is just by way of introduction as we kind of get into the parable. But I want you, want you to just see this. I can't just uh, read it and not, not make this point. 1 Peter chapter 1, <coughs> verse 23. The Bible says this, being, <coughs> excuse me, being born again. Now that should be a phrase that most of us are familiar with. Talking about salvation. Now notice what he says. He says, being born again. Now notice, notice what 1 Peter 1.23 says. He says, being born again. Notice, not, okay, so here's how you don't get born again. Not of corruptible, what's that next word say? See. Okay, 
Now, Luke 8, 11 told us what? That the seed is what? The Word of God. So can we get born again of corruptible seed according to 1 Peter 1, 3? No. And the word corruptible or corruption or corrupt means unreliable, means with errors, means dishonest. And he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but, here's how you do get born again, of incorruptible seed. So incorruptible is the opposite of unreliable, it is reliable. It's the opposite of errors, it's without error. It's the opposite of dishonest, it's completely true. And he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, and just to make sure we understand what he's talking about, just like Jesus, by the word of God. So according to the Bible, how do we get saved? By the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word. And that's why I'm constantly telling our soul winners, soul winning is not you giving your testimony. Soul winning is not you telling people how you got over drugs, and you got over alcohol, and you got over this, and you got over that. We're thankful for all that, but that's not soul winning. Soul winning is sowing the Word. Sowing the seed. And by the way, you can only get saved from an incorruptible Word. I'm here to tell you, I don't believe these churches that are preaching the NIV, that are preaching the New King James, that are preaching the New American Standard, that are preaching a bunch of Bibles that are error-filled, they're not honest, and they're, you know, they're, they're definitely corruptible. I don't believe these people are getting anybody saved. Because you can only get saved with the Word of God. And that's why, as we go out so many and we knock on the doors, we find that all these people that go to all these, and you know, I say all, obviously, we can never say 100%. Because... You know, I've knocked on people's doors from churches that are not preaching the gospel, but they got saved because their grandmother got them saved. You know what I mean? But I'm telling you this, by and large, the Bible says that these churches that are preaching and teaching and in a, a corruptible word, that is a word that is not reliable, that is a word that is filled with errors, that is a word that's dishonest. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the King James issue, I've got a DVD I can give you, okay? I don't have time to explain it to you right now. But if you were honest and you, and you, and you just compared these Bibles, you would realize that the things that are different are not the same. And these Bibles that are just removing scriptures, attacking the deity of Jesus Christ, attacking the plan of salvation, and then you wonder why these people are going to say, and Jesus himself, and Peter himself said, hey, you cannot get born again with corruptible seed. It must be incorruptible. And it must be the Word of God. So we must be preaching the Word of God. Okay, go back to Matthew 13. We, we said all that, and you just need to understand. The seed is the Word. Now, you need to understand this. In this parable, there is a seed being sowed, and it's sowed into four different grounds. Now, you need to understand this. The ground represents the heart of an individual. And there are four different individuals that Jesus highlights here. Now, please understand this. In the parable of the sower, God does not cover every individual on planet earth, okay? There are different people that are not in this parable. For example, in the next parable, the parable of the tares, you find that there are wheat, which are believers, and we'll get into that next week, and then there are tares, which are unbelievers. Did you know that there are unbelievers that come in amongst believers, and they look like us, and they act like us, and they talk like us, but they're not of us? And one day that will be found out as well. So you need to understand, not everybody's covered here. But most are covered here. And I want you to notice just as we go through this, you'll learn about these different types of people. The first person is the seed that went by the wayside. You're there in Matthew uh, 13, look at verse 4. And when he sowed, okay, the word sow means to, he, well, here's what he's doing. He's just scattering. 
He's just planting. He's just throwing the seed, just everywhere. And as he's taking a seed, he's just throwing it, he's throwing it, he's throwing it. The Bible says, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. Okay, now, and the Bible says, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Now, before we even talk about, you know, the wayside people, go back to Luke chapter 8 and look at verse 5 real quickly, because I want you to understand the wayside. The wayside, the, the, the word wayside is talking about the edge of a road, or a sidewalk, or a pathway. You ever flown through these, you know, uh, like... Nebraska, or, or even in California, if you ever fly through these areas that have a lot of farmlands, you'll see that these farmlands are usually divided by roads, so that farmers can get to one side of the farm, or get their tractors, or whatever their, the equipment that they need to, and you usually have roads. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He said this guy was farming, but as he's farming, he's throwing seed everywhere. Some of it fell by the way... Side by the sidewalk, by the road. And just to prove to you that it is a sidewalk or a place where people walk, are you there in Luke chapter 8? Look at verse 5. Luke 8 verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was, notice, trodden down. It was walked on. The word trod or trodden means to walk. It was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. So as Jesus, as, as this man is throwing the seed and throwing the seed, some falls on the sidewalk, people walk on it. Now, you got to understand this, and we're going to do it this way because it's just the fastest way. Jesus gives us a parable, then he says a lot of different things, he even gives us, you know, other, and, and then his disciples ask him, about and he explains the parable. This is a beautiful uh, uh, passage because Jesus himself is, gives us the commentary on the parable. And by the way, if Jesus would not have done that, we would have no clue what these parables were about. Okay? We wouldn't know. We'd have our guesses. We'd have good guesses, I'm sure. But Jesus flat out explains to us what these things are. So we're going to go back and forth between the parable itself and the explanation. You, so we read Matthew 13, 4. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Now go down to verse 18. This is, this is Jesus teaching his disciples about this parable. Notice what he says. What is the wayside? The wayside is the sidewalk. It's the road. It was trodden down. People walked on it. The fowls of the air came, and they... They ate it up. In verse 18 it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sword. So Jesus is going to explain the parable of the sword. Verse 19, When anyone, notice what happens, Heareth the word of the kingdom. Because that's a parable, right? That's a seed, right? The word. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and, notice what happens, Understandeth it not. So they heard it, but they did not understand it, they heard it, but they did not comprehend it. They did not get it. Then cometh the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So the Bible says that this person heard it, they did not understand it, then came the wicked one and took it away. Now we're not going to take time to look at it, but in Matthew thirteen nineteen it tells us that the foul are the wicked one. In Luke 8.12, it tells us it's the devil. In Mark 4.15, it tells us it's Satan. Okay, so it's pretty clear who the fowls represent. The birds that came and took the seed out of the heart of the person that is by the wayside is Satan himself. But the key you must understand is this. They did not get it because they never understood it. Now they heard it, but they never understood it. Go back to Luke chapter 8, look at verse 12. I want you to see something about these wayside people. Luke chapter 8, verse number 12. Luke 8.12 says this. They, 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 Matthew tells us they didn't understand it, right? Luke 
says this, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Notice, lest they, the word lest means unless, they should believe and be saved. Okay, so did the people on the wayside get saved? No, they did not. Did the wayside person get saved? They did not. Because they didn't understand it, and Satan took it from their heart before they could believe and be saved. Now, go to Nehemiah chapter 8, just real quickly towards the Old Testament, and while you're turning there, let me just talk to you a little bit. The Bible is teaching us here a couple of things, and you need to understand this. Salvation is not an emotion. Today we live in a very emotional, you know, type of Christianity, where everybody wants to go to church and feel good. That's not what salvation is. The Bible very clearly tells us that salvation is this. Someone hears the word, they understand the word, they believe the word, and then they're saved. That's what salvation is. It's not getting goosebumps, it's not feeling spiritual, it's not I got on my knees and started crying because that song. Look, do you understand that people do that at rock concerts that have nothing to do with God? Do you know that people get emotional at Celine Dion concerts that have nothing to do with God? Okay, so emotion is not salvation. Now look, if you get emotional and you cry and you do whatever, that's great. I'm not against you. I'm all for it. But you need to understand this. There are people that feel like they got saved. I feel like I felt something. I, you know, the goosebumps came up and never understood the gospel, never understood salvation. They still think it's a force. They still think they can lose it. They still think it's something they heard. That person did not get saved. Now we are in a spiritual warfare where we are fighting against Satan. And you know, we like to talk about the battle. But let me tell you something. You want to fight against Satan, here's the best way to do it. You make sure you preach the word, and when you do it, you preach it in an understandable way. You want to fight against Satan? Make sure people are understanding what you're saying. Are you there in Nehemiah chapter 8? Look at verse 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. The Bible says this. This was the, the priest... We're getting ready to preach to the people. This is the pre- this is the job of every preacher. This is my job right now. And this is the job of every soul winner. Nehemiah 8.8 says this. So they read in the book the law of God distinctly. So they read the Bible. By the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church we read the Bible. You say, did you really have to read that whole big chapter? Didn't you realize how long it was? Look, it's not church if we're not reading the Bible. Amen. They read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and notice they didn't just read, they also gave the sense. You see that? That means they made it make sense. They helped the people understand it. Look, you need to read the Bible every day on your own. The Bible teaches that, Bible commands that you need to read that. But you know why Christians, you know, there, there are two types of Christians today. There are those that say, I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm just going to come to church and let the pastor spoon feed me the Word of God. Okay, you're going to be a very weak and anemic Christian. And we're going to talk about you in a second, right? But you're going to be the Christian that doesn't know anything because look, the Bible equates reading God's Word to eating. And you don't eat three times a week, or two times a week, or one time a week, or whenever you find time to show up for church. That's not how often you eat physically. If someone ate three meals every week, they would die. Eventually they get so weak, I mean, they, 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 they would have no energy to do anything. You need to be reading the Bible on your own, feeding yourself. But guess what? You also need, from time to time, someone to help you understand it. And that's the purpose of church. You come here, and maybe you're going to look at a parable today, and you're going to say, Man, I never saw any of that. I didn't understand any of that. That's my job, is to help you make sense. And that's the job of every preacher, that's the job of every soul winner. Look at Nehemiah 8.8. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused 
two, notice, understand the reading. I teach our soul winners every time. You go out soul winning, I've been talking about it a lot. You go out soul winning, your job is not to go through a list of verses that pastor gave you. And Well, pastor said I have to read Romans 3.10, and then I read Romans 3.23, and then I read Romans 6.23, and then I go to Revelation 5.14. Listen, you need to read them the word, yes, but you also need to make sure they understand it and explain it to them so that they understand it. And then review it with them to make sure they got it. Reading verses of someone is not giving them the gospel. You need to make sure they understand it. How do we fight against Satan? We make sure people understand it. Because the Bible says when it goes by the wayside, they heard it, but they did not understand it. And before they could get saved, Satan came, the fowls of the air came, and took it from them. That's the first person. He's not saved. He's the non-Christian. The second person is a person in the stony places. Go back to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Now let me, I'm going to give you a few things in regards to the stony places person, but I want, before we even get there, you need to understand just some things about the stony places. Some fell upon stony places. This is talking about an area where maybe there's a lot of stones or a lot of rocks. There's some dirt, but not enough dirt to really grow plant life. And it says, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. You see that? So there's not a lot of dirt there. There's not much earth. Now, here's what's interesting. And here's what's interesting. When I, when, when I read this, I thought, that doesn't seem like that's where it goes. But it makes sense as you read it. Some fell upon those stony places where they had not much earth. That does not sound like a positive thing. That sounds like a negative thing. But the next statement sounds very positive. Look what it says. And forthwith... The word forthwith means immediately, without delay. So some seed fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and immediately and without delay, and forthwith they sprung up. Now doesn't that sound very positive? Doesn't that sound good? Man, immediately they just grew up. Notice what it says. Because they had no deepness of earth. Now you, you think you say, wait, wait a minute. Is not springing up a good thing? I mean, is not growing a good thing? Is not just growing? And, but the Bible here tells us they were the seed went to a stony ground. There wasn't much earth. It sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And you need to understand this, okay? Growth is good. Church growth is good. Personal growth is good. But you need to understand this. When you cannot go down, you go up. When you cannot go deep, you spring forth. Just because you spring forth very quickly though, does not mean that you have the roots deep down in the earth to be able to withstand the sun when it comes up. And today, there are lots of churches, people say, viewers and viewers, well pastor, don't you know that there are these churches and they don't preach the Bible as much as you do. They may just, you know, turn to one or two or three verses and, and the pastor just preaches for 15 or 20 minutes, but oh boy, they have a rock concert and they have this and they have that. And don't you know, in their first year, they grew by a thousand. Yeah, they grow fast because when you can't go deep, you go up. But they're not going to last. See, a tree that is going to grow and be strong, it's going to grow deep before it grows up. It's going to go down before. See, it says, forthwith, they sprung up. Why did they spring up? Because they had no deepness of earth. But the problem is this, as soon as the sun comes up, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. What's the explanation? Look at verse 20. Matthew 13, 20. 
Say, well, Pastor Jimenez, don't you think, you know, you, you've been pastoring for four years, and don't you think that your church should be growing a little faster? You know, I would love for it to grow a little faster, but let me tell you this, we're here for the long run. We're, here, we're not here, we're not going to be here in five years, ten years, and then we're going to move away because God moved me somewhere else to the will of God. I'm not going to be here till I die. Amen. And I'm not very old, and I'm not as bad a shape as you are, so I may live a good life. I'm here, I'm here for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and guess what? I'd rather grow deep and let that strengthen us than because there's no deepness, there's shallow preaching, there's no Bible, there's no doctrine, there's no teaching, there's a whole lot of emotion. We gather a whole lot of people, but as soon as the sun comes up, we just kind of wither away. Now notice what it says about these people, verse 20. But he that receives the seed in stony places, the same as he, notice, he heareth the word, and anon, the word anon means soon, with joy he receiveth it. Now, most people, if you open up a commentary, you listen to most preachers, most people are going to tell you that in the parable of the sower, that all three of the grounds were not saved, and the last one was saved. Okay, I'm here to tell you, I absolutely, emphatically disagree with that 100%. Most people say, the first three were not saved, and the last one, the one that bore fruit, that one was saved, okay? The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Let me just prove it to you, and we'll talk more about it when we get to the last round. But let me just prove it to you. Go to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. Look at verse 41. you got to understand, the seed is what? The Word. We talked about it. And they heard the word, but notice, keep, keep, keep your finger there. Go, go to Luke chapter 2, keep your finger there in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse number 21, and Acts chapter number 2. And look what it says, okay? Actually, Matthew 13, verse 20. Matthew 13, verse 20. I want you to compare this with Acts chapter number 2. Matthew 13, 20 says, But he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that, notice, the guy in stony places, he heareth the word, and along with joy, receiveth it. You see that? Okay, did the guy receive it? Now, the guy in the first ground never received it, right? Because he heard it, but he didn't understand it. So he got taken away. Did this guy see it get taken away? No, it did not. He heard it, and he received it with joy. Immediately, he received it. Now, Acts 2.41 says this. Then they that gladly received his word. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the great, you know, when the church really launched out big. They had their first big day. They had their big, first big promotion, and they had 3,000 people say, Acts 2.41 says this. Then they that gladly received his what? Word. Were baptized. Why were they baptized? Because they got saved. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So guess what? These people got baptized and they got added into the church. And biblically, the only way you get baptized and added into the church is if you're saved. How did they get saved? They received the word. I'm here to tell you, anyone who receives the word is saved. But see, people like to say, these people, these people weren't saved. Only the guy at the end was saved. Because here's what they're trying to prove. They're trying to prove a work salvation. And here's what they're saying. You're only saved if you produce fruit. So the guys that produce no fruit, they're not saved. But look, the guy heard the word, he received the word with joy, and according to the Bible, according to Acts 41, when he received the word, you're saved. And all this proves is this. Not every Christian produces fruit. Because it has to do with the type of person you are. See, it has to do with your heart. Are you a stony place Christian? Now, what makes you a stony place Christian? Go back to Matthew 13. Look at verse 20. Now, we already saw that he said they forthwith, they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Because they had no root, they withered away. Look at Matthew 13, verse 20. 
This is Jesus explaining it. He says, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and along with joy receiveth it. Here's the problem, verse 21. Yet hath he no root in himself. But, notice this, dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, he is offended. And Mark, it tells us, it's affliction. Tribulation and affliction mean the same thing. In Luke 8.13, it tells us, it's in time of temptation, he falls away. You ever, you ever you know, looked around and said, what happened to so-and-so? Man, they got saved and they got excited. They started coming to church Sunday mornings and that way. They, they started going slowly. They were having preaching. I mean, they were, what, what happened to them? Where did they go? I'll tell you exactly what happened to them. They heard the word. They received it. They got excited. A known with joy. But the problem is, there was no Bible reading at all. The problem is there was no prayer time at all. The problem is they were shallow Christians. And that, the thing that happens with shallow Christians is they don't last very long. They're still saying, but we don't hear them. We don't see them. When temptation or tribulation or affliction for the word's sake, when the word is preached, when things get hard, all of a sudden, I'm offended. And you never see me. That's what the Bible is teaching. Here's a question. Are you a shallow Christian? Are you a stony place Christian where there's not a lot of earth in you to really get down into the... Oh, you get excited. Oh, it's exciting, man. The pastor preached and he was yelling and he was kicking and it was great. But there's no Bible reading at home. There's no prayer at home. It's shallow. And it's not going to last. It dureth for a while. He says because they have no root, they withered away. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 14. Ephesians chapter 4. This is what we're trying to make sure no one at Verity Baptist Church is. We don't want you to be a shallow Christian. We don't want you to be a weak Christian. We don't want you to be the kind of Christian you know, you just Well, they look like they were doing great for a while, for a while, for a while. You know what the sad thing is? I'll tell you the honest truth. And sometimes I feel like maybe I give you more information than you need. Because sometimes like, I share my heart with you and some of you use it as an excuse to get more lazy. <laughs> but the, you know, the honest truth is this. In church, pastors, we're just told, in church, don't attach yourself too much to anybody. Because the average Christian, if they last anything, they last seven years and then you never see them again. Now see, here's the problem with me sharing that. Some of you are going to say, oh, okay, so it's good for me to just go back to the world. No, it's not. You need to get right with God and start reading the Bible and start getting some deepness and rootness in you. Amen. But the hardest thing of uh, pastoring people is getting too attached to someone because one day they're here, one day they're not. What happened? The sun came out. Well, guess what? The sun's going to eventually always come out. And things are going to get hot and things are going to get hard and there's going to be tribulation and there's going to be affliction and there's going to be persecution and there's going to be problems and if you are not rooted down in the Word of God, you aren't going to last. Are you there in Ephesians chapter 4? Look at verse 14. This is what Paul said. He said that we henceforth be no more children. He said, don't be a child. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. You know what the slight of men means? It means they're deceitful. You ever heard of someone? Oh, they had a slight hand. And cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. One day I'm a Baptist, one day I'm not. One day I'm King James only, one day I'm not. One day I'm eternal security, the next day I'm not. Because somebody told me that I needed something different. Good night, my, my microphone died. Let me grab a... I thought it was the Holy Spirit left. <laughs> Turns out it's just a battery. Let me change this real quick. 
Let's see if that works. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? All right, good. Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait. Here's the point. Don't be a shallow Christian. Don't be a shallow Christian. Somebody called me a couple weeks ago. Seems like, seems like Satan really, you know, tries to attack whenever you're, you're gone, you know what I mean? Somebody called me while we're on vacation and he said, Pastor, we, we used to be eternal security, but, but you know, I, I, I've been reading the Bible and I just don't think you guys are right on the eternal security. I said, oh, well, what verse have you been reading? He takes me to a passage in Ezekiel. Where, when you read the verses, it, I mean, very clearly says, Ezekiel saying, don't, you know, because of your sin, God is going to bring a nation and destroy you. You don't have to die if you repent of your sins. And they're like, see, that's talking about, that's saying, you know, you have to repent of your sins or you're going to lose your salvation. I said, that's talking about a nation being destroyed. And I, I, I said, how many times have you read your Bible? He said, I've read it one time. I said, you think you, you read the Bible cover to cover? And I'm like, I don't know, if you've read the Bible one time, I'm not minimizing you, I'm not. I'm telling you this, if you read the Bible one time your whole life and you think you grasp the book of Ezekiel, you are fooling yourself. I was told when I was growing up, don't ever start trying to study anything in Scripture until you've read it cover to cover five times. And, I, and I'm, here to, I'm not trying to offend you, but if you're going to try to correct me on something that I believe, please make sure you've read your Bible cover to cover five times before you start t- talking to me about it. I'm not, I, that sounds arrogant, I apologize. I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but I don't have time to waste with novice. I don't understand the Bible. They're shallow. You want to listen to all sorts of preaching on the internet? You want to watch? Look, it's easy to click a button and watch a video on YouTube. It's not easy to study God's Word and read God's Word and memorize God's Word. I'm not against watching preaching on YouTube. We have preaching on YouTube. I'm not against listening to sermons. It's easy to watch a televangelist. It's easy to sit down on a couch, turn on TV, and listen to somebody give you the Word of God. But you need to read the Bible on your own. Don't be shallow. Don't be shallow. Understand it. Take it in its context. That's the stony place Christian. Number three. Go to Matthew 13. And you say, we're so-and-so. They were shallow. Well, they were so excited. Yeah, they're not here anymore because they were shallow. That's what the Bible said. I'm not trying to offend you. I just came back from vacation. I'm just ready to go. You know what I mean? (laughs) Matthew 13. Look at verse 7. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. Now I want you to understand, from here on, the first person wasn't saved. The other three are saved. These are three different types of Christians. Now the first one, the first Christian, was the stony place Christian. He was the shallow Christian. He's the guy that shows up immediately, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning. I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. Where do you go? I don't know. He was shallow. The third one, I'll be honest with you, this is probably 90% of Christians in churches today, including Mary Baptist Church. You say, what's this thorn Christian? Look what it says. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. So they fell among thorns, but they got choked out. What happened? Verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns, is he that, notice, heareth the word. They got saved. Because notice what it says. And the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, Choke the word. So they have the word. They have it in the ground. It didn't get plucked away by the fowls of the air. It got in there. But it got in there with a bunch of thorns. And the cares of this world, 
and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh, notice, unfruitful. There's seed in the ground. It could produce fruit, but it doesn't because it gets choked out. Go to Mark chapter 4. We're almost done. Mark chapter 4. It's 8.01. I got 15 minutes. Mark chapter 4. We'll get you out of here right at 8.15. Okay? Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 18. Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 18. I want you to see what he says there. Mark chapter 4, 18. Some of you are like, bring Brother Graham back. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you got him back. Mark 4, look at verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. Entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just real quick. We're almost done. 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Find all those tea books. 1 2 Thessalonians. 1 2 Timothy Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 4. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. You need to understand that. You say, who's, who's the thorn? This is a worldly Christian. Oh, they're saying. The seed got in there and there's a potential for fruit. But here's a problem with this Christian. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. The lust of other things enter in. you got to understand this about Christianity. You can be a Christian and be worldly, but you cannot be a good Christian and be worldly. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.4 says this, No man that warreth. Is that not what we've been called to do? To war on behalf of Jesus Christ? To fight in the spiritual battle that we're engaged in? And he says, no man that's going to do that. No man that's going to war. No person that's going to be a soldier for Jesus Christ. Look what he says. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I'm here to tell you that most Christians never produce fruit. Most Christians never wore the good fight. No, most Christians never. They're never going to get to the place where Paul was. Where he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Most Christians are not going to get there. Because they're too interested in the things of this world. The cares of this world. The lust and deceitfulness. And the things of this world. They choke out the word. I'm reading a book right now on the subject of the Great Commission. And I don't do this a lot, but I, I, I saw this. I, I read this paragraph in here. I want, I want to read it to you. The writer said this. In our church, there are people with wide ranges of priorities. Everything from bowling leagues to kids' soccer teams to personal and social hobbies of all kinds. I'm glad for our folks to have diversion in their schedules. I'm all for families playing together and encouraging their kids to push themselves and grow. But at some point, we each have to make a choice of what our priorities are. What takes precedence when there is a conflict? What do we make time for and what do we simply enjoy time for? I usually, you gotta understand this. There are, I know there are all sorts of things you could do. I'm all for you doing all those things. But at some point, you gotta decide. What is more important? Because no man that warreth, if you're going to war, you cannot waste time entangling yourself in the affairs of this life. Because you're going to get choked up. I know that there's things you could do. You say, well, Pastor, you want us to go to church. You want us to do this. You want us to do that. Look, I don't want you to do anything. I, I, I have one goal in life. To preach God's word and allow it to make sense and allow the Holy Spirit to move in your heart for growth and fruitfulness. But at some point, you've got to decide, what are you going to make time for? What's most important? 
Because like we talked about on Sunday night, this life is short. It's but a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away. And those of us that understand that the 70 or 80 or 90 years we live on this earth, they don't matter. It won't matter. Only what's done for Christ will last. Hey, that type of Christian will produce fruit. But the Christian that never produces fruit, that never does anything, never engages in battle, it's because he's entangled in the affairs of this life. They're not bad things. Bowling leaves are not bad things, but they're bad things if they keep you from sowing. Bingo is not a bad thing, but it's a bad thing if you skip church to do it. At some point, you've got to get to the place and realize, am I entangled with the, with the thorns of this life? Because a lot of Christians are. And all it means is, you're not going to produce fruit and you're a worldly Christian. You're too involved in the things of this world. Go to Matthew 13, look at verse 8. Let's look at the last one. Matthew 13, verse 8. It's 805, I've got 10 minutes. I'm on my last point. We're doing good. Matthew 13, look at verse 8. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some in hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus' commentary on this, verse 23, Matthew 13, 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. That's salvation. You hear the word, you understand it. Which also beareth fruit. This is a fruitful Christian. And bring it forth, some in hundredfold, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Go to Galatians, just real quickly. Galatians, this is the last place I'm going to have you turn, and we'll be done. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The people that say, all three were not saved, and the last one is saved. Here's what they say. The last one was saved because he produced fruit. And the only Christians are those that produce fruit. And if you're not producing fruit, you're not a Christian. And then you ask them, okay, what's the fruit? And here's... 99% of people, here's where they're going to take it. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the... Can you say that word with me? What's that say? Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit. Does it say the fruit of the Christian? Does it say the fruit of the individual, like I say? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Alright? Now, people say this... If you're saved, you're going to bear fruit. Well, what's the fruit? They're going to say, well, you're going to bear love, and you're going to bear joy, and you're going to bear long-suffering. Now look, we all need to bear more love, and more peace, and more long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith. We all need that. But let me tell you something. That is not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Say, how do you know? Because the fruit that Jesus is talking about is measurable fruit. He said some poor 30-fold, and 60-fold, and in 100-fold. Let me ask you something. Can you, Can I count? Can I say, oh, brother so-and-so, you've got 30 joy. And you've got 100 love. And you've got 60 long-suffering. You can't measure that. Now look, the fruit of the Spirit will show in your life as you walk in the Spirit. But the Bible says that you can quench the Spirit, and the Bible says that you can grieve the Spirit, and there, frankly, are Christians that are not walking in the Spirit. And guess what? You're going to lose your temper, you're not going to have patience, you're not going to do any of these things that the Bible says that those... But you got to understand this. That's the fruit of the Spirit working in you. What's the fruit of a Christian? Well, if you study the word fruit out all throughout Scripture, it's always the same. One thing produces its same thing. You know why the Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Because He is all those things. Cats produce cats. Apple trees produce apples. 
Orange trees produce oranges. And you know what a Christian produces? Other Christians. And what he's talking about, and here's the and, and here's why and here's why there's no way that the last one was the only Christian, because that would mean that 99% of Christians aren't saved. Because if, if you take that stand, then here's what you're saying. Only a Christian that ever gets somebody else saved, that's only the real Christian. Well, guess what? Most people never get anybody saved. But that's on good ground. So, well, Pastor, why don't I ever get anybody saved? I, I hear so-and-so got so-and-so saved, and so-and-so got somebody saved. Then they came to church and they got baptized. Why doesn't that happen to me? Maybe because you're shallow. Or maybe because you're worldly. But good ground is a ground that's not shallow. They're deep. They're in the Word. They know what they believe. And good ground is ground that is not entangled into the affairs of this life. We live in this world. I get it. We have to work. I get it. You have to pay bills. I get it. But that should not be the number one priority. Who won the Super Bowl? That should not be the number one priority of your life. Do you know that two minutes after the Super I don't even know. What, what sports have been played right now? I don't even know. Basketball? Soccer? Oh, sorry. The World Cup. That's right. Do you know that two minutes after the World Cup is over, it will mean actually nothing who won? And it won't matter at all? And they'll play another game four years from now? And nobody will care a hundred years from now? But what you do for Christ will matter a hundred years from now. And a thousand years from now. And for all eternity. And see, we got Christians like get so caught up. And then you say, are you against? I'm not against, I'm not against you. Look, I love you. That's why I'm preaching this, because you need it. And the Christians get so caught up in all these things, the affairs of this life. And they don't realize that the seed's being choked. And the most important thing they could do with their life, which is bring others to Christ, is the thing that gets neglected. But Pastor, you understand, I have to go to the soccer game. you got to make the choice. What's important? What's the priority? You say, well, can I be saved and be choked? Yeah, but you won't be fruitful. And you won't be the good ground. And see, I don't know about you, but I want to be the good ground. This is the fruit. This is the guy that was rooted. He wasn't choked. Let me, let me just ask you a question. We're, we're done. What have you produced? Hey, don't answer it out loud. I don't want to embarrass you. But what have you produced? Who have you gotten saved? Recently. Well, 20 years ago, I got... No, no, no. Last week. Who, who's your convert? Who's been baptized because you got them saved and you talked about baptism and you're discipling them and you're calling them and you're encouraging them and you're taking... Who's that? Because I'm just here to tell you, most Christians aren't doing that at all. There's a wayside Christian or the wayside person, he was not saved. There's a stony places Christian, he was saved, but he was shallow and he didn't last very long. There's the thorns. He got saved. He got comfortable. He got his little seat in church and he got his church thing going. But the cares of this life choked the word. And you come to church and it doesn't even mean anything. It doesn't even motivate you anymore. It doesn't mean anything. You're just, ah, there's the pastor again. Going on again about soul winning. Going on again about the television. Going on again. You say, what's wrong with that person? The word is choked. And it can't produce fruit. But every once in a while, you get the good ground. And the seed goes in, it goes deep, and that person begins to produce fruit. Here's the question, which one are you? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I pray that you would please help us and bless us, Lord, as we endeavor to be Christians that have good ground. Lord, I pray that everyone here would, that they would not settle to be the thorn ground Christian. They would not settle to be 
the, the shallow Christian. I pray, Father, that every person here, from right here, from me, all the way to the back, that all of us would desire to be a good ground Christian. That the word goes deep. And we get rooted. And it's more than just an emotion. It's more than just a feeling. When the trials and afflictions and the persecutions and the tribulations of this world come, we're able to stand. We're not like children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Father, I pray that you'd help us to not be the thorn Christian. Well, yeah, we're saved and yeah, we love God. And the word's in there. But there's never any fruit because we're so involved and we're so entangled in the things of this world. Father, I pray that tonight there'd be some individuals that would go home and start digging down and saying, I'm going to get this seed deeper. Lord, I pray that tonight there'd be some individuals that would go home and say, you know what, I'm going to start taking some of these thorns out of my ground. They're not bad, but they're just not the priority. Father, I pray you'd help us to produce good ground Christians. We love you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.